Mercury is retrograde in Pisces and then Aquarius until March 9th. Mercury retrograde's bad rap is a bit extreme. It doesn't have to mean that a million inconvenient or bad things will happen. Instead, it can serve as a mass reminder to take time out for ourselves, to disconnect, reflect, reestablish, and think before we speak. Before we send that text or tweet or confront someone, we can pause, breathe. Deep in the recesses of our minds, in the corners we don't often entertain, we confront our inner voice. We delve. The word delve comes from Old English delphan, which means to dig, turn up with a spade or other tool, excavate. When I hear it, I imagine myself in the dirt, unearthing things of the past, or maybe diving in dark waters, peering through the depths, perhaps creeping through a cave so cold I can see my breath. In all cases, ultimately, retrieving a chest and wrenching it open with a crowbar, awaiting whatever world is hidden inside. We're living in the age of information. Our attention spans dwindle by the day, our reaction times following suit. The world moves so fast now, it feels impossible to keep up. Everywhere we look, there are new inventions, changing landscapes, systems we must abide. Aquarius is typically suited for exactly all of this especially paired with analytical mercury. But in retrograde, we should stop. Sit. Listen. It's okay to feel overwhelmed. It's okay to feel stuck. These are the trappings of the mortal world. We have some small amount of control over our lives, but mostly we're powerless to the turning of earth, the ticking of time. In a rush to accomplish, achieve, earn, Sometimes the best thing we can do is relax, plant yourself, think, don't speak, don't act, just think. Who are we living for? Who do we really care about? What is our time worth? Are we happy? Are they happy? Should I change something? If we don't take time to ask ourselves these questions, we can become entangled in things that don't let us enjoy our time here or we can become confused about how to enjoy it. It will come as no surprise to hear that I spend a lot of time working with astrology. I'm always reading, learning, creating, so in this episode, I'm going to take some time to trace backwards and answer something I haven't yet had time to sit with and understand. Why are the planets given these names? What came first, the naming of the planets or the naming of the gods? Where do their attributes come from, the planets? And how does it all fit together? I think I've brought in just the right person to help me answer it. I'm Helen Zaltzman, and I make the podcasts Answer Me This, Veronica Mars Investigations, and The Illusionist, which is all about words. In 2009, Helen and her co-host of Answer Me This were the first podcasters to be given their own national show on BBC Radio 5 Live. 
Her show, The Illusionist, was named the smartest podcast by the 2019 British Podcast Awards. I got interested in investigating the history of words very early on when I was, I don't know, maybe seven years old and I went to an old-fashioned school where you learnt Latin from that age. And so then you could see, oh, this word looks like this word I already know. Maybe they're connected. Ah, that's how it begins. Helen, you have two, I'm going to call it, it seems like you might disagree, Mm -hmm. two investigative podcasts, Veronica Mars Investigations, (laughs) diving into the specific investigations of Veronica Mars and her show. Very important. And Answer Me This, which seems at least mildly investigative, right? (laughs) (laughs) Mildly investigative seems... A, a generous description of it. Thank you. Okay. And uh, of course, illusionist, uh, the investigation of words. Right. So you seemed to be the best person for me to ask, how <laughs> how are we going to get to the bottom of these planets? What did you discover about them? I discovered that it's so hard to get to the bottom of these planets. And a lot of that is because the history of astronomy and astrology is so complicated. Really? <laughs> and the words that are all bound up together because you have this discipline of astrology that is influenced by so many different countries and those countries being invaded by other countries or invading other countries. And so taking bits of their cultural uh, astrology into other locations. And what I was curious about is whether there's any correlation between what these planets are named in English or in European astrology based on Greco-Roman astrology and what they're named in other cultures and see whether those have any traits that correlate for those planets. And then my brain burst and I couldn't investigate that. So I'm so sorry. Oh, I mean, that sounds sounds like it would take a lifetime. Right, exactly. But I think it really would. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's so much going on. Um, Well, the gods definitely have their names before the planets. The gods are not named after the planets. The planets are definitely named after the gods. Okay. But the fuzzier thing is whether the traits of the gods then became applied to the planets and and to astrology. The timeline around that was a lot harder to ascertain. Mm -hmm. So the things that we call the planets in English now are almost all Latin words. It's just, uh, do you say Uranus, Uranus, Uranus? What's your preference? I've started saying Uranus after getting into astrology. It seemed to be the most neutral of all (laughs) of the different... (laughs) Also, etymologically, it is it, its root word is related to that of urine. So, really, yes, something. Tell I me found. more about that. <laughs> um, Uranus really can't. It's it's they can't catch a break here. No matter which way you look <laughs> at it, it's not it's not great. It's difficult. I mean, Uranus, uh, the god, seems to have been a pretty tricky dude. So, I think that's fair that the name may be something that if he was at school he'd get teased for, but. Um, Amongst Uranus's various traits, he was the rainmaker, and that's from a root word that meant rain or moisture, and so that crops up in the Sanskrit word for rain and the Greek word for urine. Um, and anyway, what a- <laughs> so that makes urine seem so beautiful to consider it yeah. rain. Like, <laughs> yeah, I suppose it's raining from your bladder. It rain from people. It's people rain. People rain. That's exquisite, Jess. But what I meant to say was, uh, Uranus. Uranus is the only planet with a Greek name. And the rest of them all have Roman names or Latin names. But that's because I think about 2000-ish BCE, the Greeks gave the planets names after their various gods. And then 100-ish years BC, the Romans converted those names into the Roman versions of those gods. So Zeus became Jupiter and 
things like that. So what's so complicated to me about it is that, for example, Mars, which is uh, the Roman version of Greek Ares, the god of war, uh, associated with, with bloodshed and anger and all of these things, kind of like it's a very like red feeling. Ares is a fire sign in astrology. When, you know, 2000 BC, like you were just saying, when they were, the Greeks were establishing the planets, these names, and the Romans later and everything, like, is it just purely coincidental that Mars later became known as the red planet and that its surface is red? No, I think you can see from Earth without magnification that Mars is red. But I think it's worth bearing in mind that the light pollution in that era was significantly less. So you could probably see the skies a lot clearer and also they did have magnification like they would use there is evidence of lenses existing for a really long time and also they used water to magnify things so they probably got a good look they thought that there were five planets at the time well they thought that there were seven planets at the time including the sun and the moon right so they counted uh mercury venus mars jupiter and saturn Mm-hmm. And I guess those are the ones that they could see. They didn't count Earth because they thought Earth was the centre of the universe mm-hmm. and flat and the other things were moving around above it. So presumably they had a decent look at those planets and then they gave the planets names according to gods that they thought those planets behaved a bit like. So Mercury, which has a short orbit, just 88 Earth days, uh, was named after the messenger god who is speedy. and Hermes. Right. And um, Venus... I think because Venus is so bright and twinkly, was named after the goddess of love because we all love bright, twinkly stuff. Right, the brightest, twinkliest star. (laughs) Exactly. That's actually where we also get the astrological meaning assigned to Saturn because at the time it was the farthest out we could see. So Saturn has become associated with boundaries Mm. and restrictions because it was seen as like the boundary of of the galaxy basically at the time. Well... This is a question I have for you, because at the time, and for a long time, they didn't know about the existence of the further away planets. So the influence of those planets on astrology, did they attribute that to other things? or what? The, You mean the meanings that are assigned to those later discovered planets? Were those previously assigned to other closer planets? Right. Exactly. If you didn't know that Neptune was doing things but if you believed in the effects exerted by the planets then how would you explain the effects of neptune that you didn't yet know about i haven't i haven't studied medieval and traditional astrology a lot it hasn't been like my personal bag but uh i would think that the meanings that are assigned to neptune were previously distributed among the planets that we knew of at that time and maybe were redistributed with the discovery of neptune and pluto and uranus but uh Neptune and Pluto are known as the outer planets versus the inner planets, which go all the way up through Saturn, which have been in astrology since like the beginning of astrology. So there's so much debate in the astrological community community about what those outer planets mean. Like you'll find different opinions all the time. And I think that astrologers who take that, who bear that in mind and kind of have like assimilated their understanding of it through like multiple perspectives they are very sensitive about how they use the outer planets in their astrology because it's too soon to know. I mean, it took, we have established meanings for the inner planets up through Saturn because they've been in practice for thousands of years with astrologers. But right now, I mean, Pluto was discovered in 1930, so it hasn't even been around for a hundred years. I think there are still, you know, articles coming out that will debate what a planet could mean of those three. So it's, yeah, very sensitive. (laughs) Well, It sort of times in with, I think this is ancient Roman astrology, where 
they sort of measured the influence of planets according to how far away they were. So it would make sense that the outer planets, the influence was weaker anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do have a, in a natal chart, a the outer planets will have a weaker independent influence. Um, not only because they're, you know, we're still kind of establishing how to interpret them, but also because they move so much slower than all the other planets that they're generational, you know, like, so how can you try to say that everybody born in this huge window of time <laughs> shares equality? So they're, they're like, they can be impactful in how they relate to the inner planets in your natal chart. But as a standalone planet, they're not as um, strong of an influence. Um. And back to what you were asking about which came first, the like gods or the astrological traits and so on. But I just remembered, I've, I've seen Mars being really red, but I was in uh, Hobart, which is the capital of Tasmania, which is uh, an island state right off the bottom of Australia. So although Hobart is a city, the light pollution there is less because beneath it is just uh, a huge swathe of ocean and then Antarctica. And so... In 2018, when I was there, Mars was pretty close to the Earth, and you could see how red it was. Mm. Uh, and also, like a, a modern version of this too, I believe it was Uranus that was the first planet discovered with a telescope, mm. and it is an astrology associated with technology and innovation and ideas and change. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the nature in which it was discovered through, you know, technology, the advancement of technology, and. When you look at Uranus, you can see that it's on a tilted axis, which gives it this kind of like odd orbit. And it's got like an elliptical orbit. Mm -hmm. And so it also is associated with kind of like oddness. Um, <laughs> and uh, That actually fits really well with the, what um, William Herschel, who is credited with the discovery, wanted to call it because he wanted to name it after King George III, who was then the ruler of... Um, Britain and uh, King George III was notoriously uh, someone who suffered from porphyria, which had um, a significant effect on his mental health and ah. often made him um, insane. And so that would work. Yeah. Wow. I did not know that. Cool. Although I think at the time he was naming it, uh, which is uh, 1781 when he discovered it, um, George III hadn't presented most of his symptoms yet, but they were on and off like huge until I think he died in 1806. Mm -hmm. But like his piss was blue, things like that. Oh my gosh. And, uh, he had to be, his son had to take over as king for a bit because his father was uh, not able to be responsible. So his piss being blue also ties into Uranus and oh, the roots of that word. <laughs> hey, but what a Brit normative name for a star. Mm -hmm. I mean, I do find the planet names still very kind of uh, Greco-Roman sounds... normative, but naming it after a British king, you know, I'll, come on, like, you control a lot of the earth at the time, let the skies go. Y yeah, also, I mean, no no offence to you and the wonderful nation you come from, well... but it, it feels very British to be like, and we're going to name this planet after the king. Yeah, although if you are William Herschel, the astronomer, you're like, well, if I name it after the king, then uh, maybe he'll give me a cookie. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right, of yeah, course. I imagine it's strategic. Like at the time, people named so many things after rich patrons. It's also just blasphemous to the gods. I mean, these planets well, that were once representative of the gods who would not want a mortal to be the king at the table. was a representative of the gods. So ah. remember that. But you yes, mean it's all bullshit. You mean like in mythology, that's like that's an aspect. What, oh, the uh. the monarchy is chosen by God. Yes. That's oh, by God. Yes. 
But that's just for what, what the people say, right? They say that... Well, do we have any proof of the gods aside from what the people say, Jess? Well, <laughs> absolutely not. But, <laughs> but I mean, uh, more like it seems easy for someone to be like, well, God chose me, so you have to accept it. Right. That's the thing. If not, I'll kill you. And that's but, how like, monarchy works. Humans also created this idea that the gods did not want mortals at the table with them. Oh, no. So there, there is kind of like that dichotomy of what humans say the gods want. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Uranus, uh, I, th I think, is quite an intriguing character, but pretty fucked up. Uranus had 12 children with the goddess Gaia, and apparently hated them, hated all those children, which, I mean, says more about him than the children. The children are the Titans, and two of them, Hyperion and Helios, were the original, like, sun gods before they just went with one, the sun. Mm -hmm. um, so weirdly, uh, Uranus is the dad of the sun. Mm -hmm. um, but um, because he was such a bad dad, Uranus imprisoned Gaia's youngest children in, within the earth and so as revenge she asked her sons to castrate Uranus uh, and uh, one of them did cut off his testicles threw them in the sea and from that came forth Aphrodite right just straight also out Venus. of his testicles yeah just like washed up in the foam on the beach right oh, god how do they come up with this stuff I don't Truly. know and how Saturn ate basically babies to prevent himself being overthrown um why would you worship these terrible gods well i mean we created them and worshipped them so mm. <laughs> it really speaks to our psyche i think more than anything which is uh the job of a psychological astrologer is to figure out why people would do things <laughs> like that <laughs> i think um well i think a lot of what religion has done or organized religion has done has been used to control people and a lot of it is you know, controlling them with fear isn't it yes absolutely mm -hmm. why would why would you mess with a god that did something so terrible I was pleased to find that the etymology of the word zodiac mm -hmm. literally means circle of little animals. Oh, wow. How sweet. Yeah. It's like a little mobile for adults. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and that term is from 14th century or thereabouts, but in Old English, it was just 12th tacna, which meant the 12 signs. And then in Middle English, so before, just before it was zodiac, it was uh, the girdle of the sky. Girdle of the sky. Yeah. Sky girdle. But I think there's something in World of Warcraft that is like girdle of the sky because I was trying oh, to wow. Google it for the etymology and it was just coming up with a lot of World of Warcraft stuff. <laughs> uh, I, there's also a lot of debate about um, how old astrology is. I thought that like Indian astrology is many more thousands of years old even than Greco-Roman astrology because the Greek astrology is like 4,000 years old and there's pretty substantial proof of that. Yeah, because I think like Shut astronomy it. and astrology were the same study for a, a right. long time. Yeah, exactly. It was like, oh, we discovered something sci very scientifically, and it also means this astro astrologically. Yeah. So they were kind of happening in tandem. Well, I think the science became so huge, then they were like, okay, astronomy is more about planetary movements and the physics, and astrology is about the spiritual aspect, because mm -hmm. it was just too much. But yes, yeah. they were combined for a really long time. Yeah. So I guess one of the biggest mysteries for me that I have found different pieces of information on is the naming of Pluto. Uh, there's just different theories about how Pluto came along. First, it was going to be named after himself, right? Which his initials are PL. Actually, it wasn't the discoverer. It was, what did you say, Helen? Whose initials am I thinking of? Percival PL Lowell. He was a wealthy Bostonian who founded an observatory in Flagstaff and started an extensive project in search of a possible ninth planet. 
I think he was paying for the search for it. Oh, okay. And he died before it was found. So mm. the symbol for Pluto is like a P, the letter P with a tail on the bottom like an L. Right. But then uh, it's said that he also let his daughter pick the name and she picked Pluto after the Disney character. Nope. Yeah, Not right. Happened. Right, and then it's like, well, how would any of these things so coincidentally line up with the naming of the of keeping it in the theme of naming the planets after the gods? Right. They named Pluto in 1930, and I think the planet was named a few months before the Disney character. And so, oh, the Disney character hadn't even existed yet. Right. So, well, I think the character existed for a few months without a particular name, and then they were like, call him Pluto, and. From the statements from the Disney people that I read, they were like, well, I'm not sure why we picked the name, but I guess there was a lot of talk of Pluto around at the time because the planet had just been discovered and it was pretty hyped. Interesting. So the naming of the dog came from the naming of the planet. Possibly. There's an unproven link. But an 11-year-old, uh, Venetia Burney, uh, who was interested in classical mythology, uh, suggested Pluto to her grandfather who passed it on to an astronomy professor who then cabled it to the people in the States who'd been discovering Pluto. Wow. What a weird chain. That's allegedly, though. Uh, okay. Allegedly. It's all allegedly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she gets a lot of the credit, but people are like, well, you know, that's the story, but... Right, it's a game of telephone. That's the... I mean, very literally, in, in, it seems. Uh, yeah. Telephone and then telegram. This is the problem with a lot of word history is that... The proof is scanty. Mm. And people often just repeat stories that are quite attractive, like the idea that the planet was named after the Disney dog, because at least they they strike a chord with us and they make some sense. Mm -hmm. But I think if you ever hear a story about word history that is too neat and tidy, then it's actually cause for suspicion. Ha. Huh. Well, Helen, why do you think it might be important for astrologers or for anyone to understand kind of where the names of these planets came from, where the names of the gods and how everything kind of fits together? Do you think that it's important at all? I think it's important in that knowing some of the history of the, of the field of study could be very informative and very interesting because also it, it's so international and there's such an interesting combination of uh, science and physics and spiritualism and philosophy. So I think in that score, yes. Pisces season began last week and continues through March 19th. Pisces is a sign utterly entrenched in memory, feeling, and the creations born in those murky waters. With Pisces, no movements are sudden or rash. It is slow and deliberate, because Pisces lies very still until it has reason to unfold. 
Sometimes the quietest, most peaceful things can also be the most powerful. In this month, we lightly touch the surface of a pool of water, observing the ripples and seeing what they inflict upon the world. We retreat into ourselves, only to later emerge stronger, more understanding, and more inspired than we were before. Pisces as a state of mind is lying in bed, wondering, observing, dissolving thoughts and putting them back together again one piece at a time. This song, Could Be a Curse, by Kaina featuring Sen Morimoto, swims in this headspace. You and I are like in that sense You are not the sum of your fears Fingers trace the back of your ear Tell me what you wanted to hear Just rest On March 4th, Venus enters Taurus for a month. In this time, we could stand to relax and luxuriate, make ground with those we work with, and also spend time with and listen to those we love and consider what they're saying. On March 9th, there's a full moon in Virgo, the same day that Mercury stations direct, leaving retrograde behind. This is the time to take what we found in the quiet dive of our mind, analyze it, organize it, and use it to begin again. Thank you to Helen Zaltzman for sitting down with me. You can find all her work at helenzaltzman.com. You can find a piece on Kaina in issue number 27 of Hooligan Magazine. For more of her music, visit her website at kaina.live. For more Astroblast content, you can follow along at astroblasting.com or on social media at, at @astroblasting. You can also find my astrology contributions for Hooligan Magazine at hooliganmagazine.com/astrology, including the February astrology forecast with the March forecast arriving soon. If you've joined the Astroblast Patreon, you'll soon be receiving the first round of personalized astrology postcards. If you'd like one sent to you, sign up at patreon.com astroblasting. We're not always able to afford time to stop and consider. It's backbreaking trying to keep up with the world, pay our bills, and still have time to understand who we are. But where we can find the time, it's worth it to find what's locked in that chest, deep underwater or buried under sand. It's always worth it to delve. But if you're still following the map, unsure of where that chest is, you can always explore the dark. <laughs>